0: Welcome back to another edition of Inside the Huddle Podcast with Brady Sopranit and Southern California Prep Insider. Uh, We're about to start week three here, and before I recap week two, I just want to apologize to Tracy McNair and the Morse program um, because I I interviewed Tracy McNair, uh, recorded it, we had some technical difficulties with the way the audio came up, and, and I don't want to make it sound like we, uh, we cut him out of the loop. We actually had him on. We had a good interview. And I'm bummed, honestly, as a professional, that, that the interview is unable to be played because it was such a good interview with Tracy McNair talking about the Unity Bowl. And he talked about uh, Shamar Martin and what a great kid he is and, and how he's uh, going on to he's gonna be a, you know big and better things. Uh, When it comes to uh, playing football and just off the field stuff with that kid and how they're trying really hard to implement uh, the kids in the community and and getting them involved with the community. And and, uh, he's trying to get all his kids to go to college and and all the great things that that's happening with the Morse program on top of the fact that they're two and oh. They haven't given up a point yet, and they've done uh, exceptional so far to start the year. So, again, I apologize to Coach McNair. I want to relay a message real quick. Um, He said it during the interview. I want to make sure it gets out, even though we're not going to play the interview. Uh, The Unity Bowl between Lincoln and Morse, every Thursday night with with, what David Dunn, uh, the head coach at Lincoln, and Tracy McNair, the head coach at Morse, started a couple years ago when they allowed Lincoln and Morse to play each other again in football. They do a team meal every Thursday before the game between the two teams. They come together, um, they talk as a community, and they have some intermingling uh, to try to not make it, um, you know, as bad as it was potentially, you know, what it was in the 80s and, and the 90s and what have you. Um, but some of the Moore's coaches are not going to be in attendance this Thursday. They're attending a funeral uh, for one of their, um, you know, fallen guys that they know over at Crawford. Um, and so we keep uh, the family in our prayers, and we keep the Morse coaches in our prayers, and, and they they wanted to make sure they everybody knew that they were not attending because of um, you know certain circumstances. And not for own personal reasons. So I wanted to get that message across, even though we didn't have uh, Coach McNair on in the next couple uh, minutes or so. We do have David Dunn on. He will talk about the, the Unity Bowl and, and what it means to him. He'll talk about his upbringing when it comes to football, uh, playing at Morse, going to junior college, battling at junior college at a tough junior college. Making it to Fresno State and then being a draft pick in the NFL, and he talks about some of his NFL stories and, and what uh, some of the things he learned in order to, that uh, he implements as a head coach right now at Lincoln High School. We will talk to uh, Coach Howard Bannister of Chula Vista. He's got his team undefeated so far, two and zero. He said the team has struggled in some aspects, but he thought the defense has played tough. He'll get into more of that uh, when we interview him. And then we have head coach of the Modern Day Catholic Crusaders, John Joyner, joining us. Uh, talking about a big win over El Cap last week, bouncing back from the Ramona game in Week 1, and then his upcoming game against Bishops. He's got a great running back in Aiden Calvert. His dad, Art Calvert, played at... uh Uh, He was a minor league affiliate uh, with the New York Yankees, so he's got some athleticism in his family. Uh, He's talking about his big day last week, 19 carries, 215 yards, and a 37-35 win over El Cap. So he'll he'll break that down, uh, break down some of his players and the upcoming uh, challenges they're going to face in Bishops coming up on Friday. So those are the three coaches we got. In terms of the topic of the week and the town hall discussion between the coaches, we're talking running clock, and we're talking about – uh, the differences in, in whether you're pro or, or against um, the running clock rule. And, and we've all been, coaches, you know, I know you're listening. We've all been on both sides of that. And, and uh, we've all wanted the running clock. We're on the losing side. And we've all, you know, not wanted the running clock. We're on the winning side to try to get kids in. So I see both sides. I'm not that passionate about either side um, when it, in terms of, you know, picking a side. Uh, but th- the fact of the matter is, you know, the big con – to the running clock is getting kids in that work their butts off, that practice hard every day, that put the work in. They're just not as talented uh, as some of the guys that are going to start and the guys that are going to play every Friday night. And that's their opportunity to play on Friday night and ex- do the live out the experience that we all loved and all experienced as, as high school players, playing under the lights on a Friday night, playing for your high school. Um, a lot of these kids work really hard to be part of that and the running clock kind of negates that a little bit. and takes away some time that they have to be on the field. And I understand, you know, well, you know, you know, they should just enjoy the time that they have when they're out there. But, you know, I think, you know, the running clock kind of hurts that. Pros of the running clock are teams are trying to get out of there without injuries. Uh, the game's already over, obviously. Otherwise, they wouldn't put in the running clock. You're just trying to survive. And a lot of small schools are just trying to get out of there without any injuries. They're trying to get out of there. Um, You know, not trying to demoralize any kids. It's a way to prevent, um, you know, other coaches from running out the score. Should they do that? So I understand both sides of it. And a lot of coaches will understand both sides and they'll get into that. So let's talk about week two. Let's talk about what happened. Big game of the week. um, The best game of the weekend uh, by far. I mean, it was just a fantastic football game. was Torrey Pines and San Clemente. Unbelievable job of the Torrey Pines Falcons. Great job uh all around and and rallying back down nine points under a minute to go or under two minutes to go rather and they're able to score instead of trying to kick the PAT uh to tie the game up they go for two to try to get the win and Gladnick tried to do that last year against Mission Hills if they came up short they didn't get it last year they come up short again didn't get it this year They have time for an onside kick. With 45 seconds left, they line up for an onside kick. They recover it. A couple plays later, they line up for a game-winning field goal. They drill the game-winning field goal uh, to obviously win the game uh, in a close margin against San Clemente. Unbelievable job of the coaching staff. I love the going for two uh, call that Gladnick did right there. And it's a great win for San Diego. That's the highlight game of, of the week. Um, and before I get into any other games, I just want to point out, yeah, it is, it's is—it's a great win, and I think it's a its a great win for San Diego, and it's a great win for Torrey Pines. But let's not just get carried away here that San Clemente is some world beater team. Okay, San Clemente is a great football team. Yes, I understand that. They'd probably finish in the top five in San Diego every year, but it's not like they beat Mission Viejo. They did not beat Orange Lutheran. They did not beat Modern Day. They did not beat St. John Bosco. So I think we need to pump the brakes just a little bit on that win. Again, it's a really good win. I saw Chris Ford earlier on Twitter last week talk about how when's the last time a San Diego team beat a Division I Orange County team. And, and that's all fact. That's all true. They did beat a Division One Orange County team. Look at the max prep ratings. Look at the Cal prep ratings of what San Clemente was. San Clemente is just a little bit higher than San Marcos. And not to knock San Marcos, but San Marcos is like the third, fourth best team in San Diego County. So, again, it's a great win, and it's out of section, but I think we need a little bit more perspective on what teams are really good out of section and what teams we can handle. Because it happens every year with the Utah teams that come down. They go, well, they're the best team in Utah. Yeah, well, the best team in Utah is like the 10th best team in San Diego. And it happens a lot. It happened to Cathedral. Cathedral hammered a Utah team that probably wasn't very good. Helix did it last year. They played a Utah team. uh, Absolutely crushed them. And I know they're a top five team in Utah. But you look at their rating, and they probably finished probably 10 in San Diego. So we got to know the differences between a really good team and a team that a San Diego team can handle. And you look at, you know, Helix playing Cajon. Cajon is a really good football team. You can't knock Helix for getting blown out in that game because that that team is just at another level. Same thing with the teams Mission Hills is playing. Mission Hills is 0-2. They're playing a paramount team that's pretty good. Granted, they're probably closer to a San Clemente level, and that's not necessarily that. It's not a good loss. There's no such thing as a good loss. But it's not that great of a loss. And then they lost to um, you know, a pretty tough team last week in Westlake. Westlake's a good football team. They're pro they'd probably beat San Clemente. If I was putting money on the game, I'd probably put Westlake over San Clemente. San Clemente's good. Don't don't get me wrong. San Clemente is a good football team and they produce quarterbacks. But they're not the top of the Orange County. It's not like they just beat Modern Day. It's not like they beat Servite. It's not like they beat Orange Lutheran. So I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. Again, not taking anything away from the kids, not taking anything away from Coach Gladnick, not taking anything away from the coaching staff of Torrey Pines. They do a marvelous job. It's a great win for that program. But let's pump the brakes a little bit. Mission Hills has a tougher, way tougher schedule and opponents that they're playing. If they beat Chaminade on Friday, I'm going to lose my mind a little bit more than when I saw the news that Torrey Pines beat San Clemente. And I know I picked San Clemente on this podcast to win. I ended up changing that pick on another show uh, that it was a part of. And I ended up picking Torrey Pines. And off the record with the other San Diego Prep Insider guys, I picked Torrey Pines. Um, so I'm hurt. I'm, I'm kicking myself that I didn't pick him on the podcast officially. So I'll take the L for that. But I wasn't shocked that Torrey Pines won that game. I was shocked the way the game ended the whole football game, but I wasn't shocked that they won. Uh, moving on to the rest of the top 10, Eastlake hammered Hilltop last week. Uh, wasn't surprised by that game. Lincoln comes at number nine in the Union Tribune uh, top 10. Uh, that game shocked me. Lincoln should not be in any ball game with San Diego High. And I know Charles James, we had him on last week. He's done. He did an unbelievable job. We'll talk to David Dunn in just a little bit about the job that Charles James did as a f- head football coach. Oh, but Lincoln has way more athletes. Lincoln has more players. Lincoln should be able to handle San Diego High, especially after that Bloomington win. So that shocked me a little bit. But hats off to San Diego High for giving a run for their money. And I don't think uh, Lincoln was, uh, and I know the coaches were ready for it, and I knew they were ready for it uh, for the game in, in terms of you're not taking a team lightly. I don't think the kids were geared up for that game. I thought they think I I think they think uh, they thought that they were going to come into the game absolutely roll over San Diego High that only has about 26 guys on their football program or on their football team. That game shocked me. Uh, that was a that was a red flag for me when it came to to Lincoln. But I think Lincoln's going to figure it out. They got a tough game against Morse this week. Mission Hills. Uh, they're playing a tough team this weekend in Westlake. That's a tough battle. I had coach Hauser over, almost overscheduled this year uh, with the team, and I, I love the fight, and I love uh, the the taking on a challenge of playing these top time Southern Section squads. But if they had the team they had last year, this year they'd be hanging in the they'd be winning those football games. Team they have this year, they're taking some else, and it it only gets worse from here. They got Chaminade on Friday. I don't think there's any chance that they're going to win that game. I hope they do for the sake of San Diego. And I hope I'm giving them some billboard material right now, but there's no no shot in heck that they're going to win that football game. They just they, they just the shaman is just too good. And I hope I eat my words next week because I'd love to see I'd love to see San Diego win games out of section. They not they're not winning that football game. They'll probably drop out of the top 10. They probably won't make the open now because of the schedule. But I'm telling you right now, you better watch out in Division One because Mission Hills is going to be able to handle some San Diego's teams after the brutal schedule that they played. Look for them to be a dark horse in the Avocado League. As I go through the rest of the top 10, according to the Union Tribune, Santa Augustine jumps in now. Uh, they're 2-0. and They beat... Benita Vista, who they should have rolled, and they did roll. And Santa Fe Christian, I'm not that impressed with those two wins. Loyola this week, they beat Loyola this week. I'm impressed. Look out for St. Augustine if they win this week against a a Mission League school in Loyola. And it's turning into a nice little game for them every year, uh, traveling up and down uh, with Loyola of Los Angeles. So that's a good tester game this weekend. A lot of good games this weekend in terms of of teams playing out of county. Uh, Cathedral Catholic uh, hammered El Camino. Uh, you had that uh, you know ordeal and that article that was uh, written on that other news site and uh, it, it kind of pissed some people off and Cathedral Catholic proved why they have the quarterback that they have and, and why uh, you know that game played out the way it did. Sean Pomo unbelievable job. it looks like he's back it looks like that injury is not going to hamper him too much. He looked unbelievable the offense was clicking uh, defensively they were able to shut down El Camino. I don't think I think El Camino's in trouble. I was shocked that they beat Point Loma. I um, They got a brutal schedule. They got to play Eastlake coming up. Uh, they got a lot of good teams that they got to play, especially in their league. It's going to be tough for them to find another win uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Let's get quickly uh, before we uh, get to Coach Dunn. Uh, Sam Marcos beating Grossmont. I'm not shocked of the result. I'm shocked how the game played out. I didn't think Grossmont had enough to beat Sam Marcos, and they didn't, obviously. But uh, they jumped out to a 21 uh, nothing lead and just, uh, you know, blew it, essentially. They just kind of, the wheels fell off and San Marcos started getting hot. And San Marcos is a good football team, but they're not that great. Uh, they're not uh, the team that should be able to rally from, from that deficit. Um, and, and that, to me, was a telling game. It tells me that Grossmont is not quite uh, there yet. And it tells me that San Marcos has some things to work on before they get to Avocado League play. Uh, we get to Helix. Helix bounced back after uh, a loss to Cajon. They beat a Royal Grande uh, pretty soundly last week. Madison hammered uh, Benita Vista last week. I wasn't shocked. La Costa beat Vista again. Wasn't shocked. And then that Big Torrey Pines win over San Clemente. So that's, that's my recap of last week. Let's get into uh, this week's coaches Podcast. We're going to meet with David Dunn, the head coach of the Lincoln Hornets, next on Inside the Huddle with Braden Sopranit. Welcome back to Inside the Huddle Podcast with Braden Sopranit with Southern California Prep Insiders. I am joined now by the head coach of the Lincoln Hornets, Coach David Dunn. Coach Dunn, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing fine. sir.
0: I'm doing well uh, as well, Coach. Uh, let, let's let's talk about uh, your background and how you got into coaching. You're a local kid. Uh, you went on to play college football at Fresno State, and you were able to play in the NFL, which is such a great achievement for anybody. What what? How did you transition from being a player into becoming a coach?
1: Um, you still have a passion for the game. Um, you know, as, as a player, you're around it. You're doing twenty four. You're doing football twenty four seven pretty much, and it becomes a part of your life. So afterwards, um, you know, it only was fitting to get involved. I had my, uh, my son was playing, and a lot of my nephews were playing, so I ended up just being around them and starting to teach and coach them the right way, and just caught that coaching bug, and it just went on from there.
0: Let's talk about your journey uh, as a player after high school. You know, you went to junior college, and you transferred to Fresno State. How was that tr- transition for you from junior college to, you know, college ball?
1: Um. It definitely, it definitely was a transition. The, the speed of the game was a faster. Um. You know, there's a lot more talented guys out there going to the junior college level, playing on a um, you know, playing on a level that was extremely competitive at Bakersfield Junior College. There was, was a place that that um, you know, they, they averaged about seven to eight thousand fans per game for at a JC. So that was really big. Um, so you know, it, was, it was it was a pretty good transition, though.
0: Let's talk about being drafted in the National Football League. You went in the fifth round, pick number one thirty nine. How was that day for you? Describe for us what was going through your head, and how excited were you when you finally got that call?
1: Oh man, that day that's a that's a long drawn out process. You know, you sit and you wait and you wait and you know you just is waiting to hear your name get called. But um, it's very exciting. Um. At the same time, it's it's very stressful, but it was, um, you know, I I was at home with my family and, and, you know, when I did finally get that call, I mean, just uh, overcome with joy, you know, just extremely happy and blessed, um, you know, to be a part of uh, the NFL draft and actually have my name called on draft day. Um, It was great for me and my family.
0: Let's talk about your time in the in the National Football League. Your first couple of years, you spent in the AFC North. A lot of cold weather games. How was it for a, a California boy playing up there in the in those uh, cold weather environments?
1: Oh, well, I was shocked, man. When I ended up getting drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, it was kind of funny. I didn't um, I didn't know anything about Cincinnati besides the TV show WKRP in Cincinnati. That was the only thing I ever knew about it. Um, so I was a uh, I was kind of wondering what type of life was I going to have and experience out in Cincinnati. But it ended up being a, a, you know, a good city. It was a, I had a great time. A friend of mine, Darnay Scott, was already on the team. And it was just, um, I mean, I had, had a really good time out in Cincinnati, just learning the city and learning the game and being a part of some really good guys.
0: What was your favorite memory, and it could be playing for any team in the National Football League, but your favorite memory as a player playing at the highest level?
1: Um favorite memory was probably playing in um in Oakland. Um, you know, being a part of a squad with um with Tim Brown and Jerry Rice and Andre Rice and they had a had a lot of um Hall of Famers on their squad. Um I've been out there with um you know Charles Woodson and and just, you know, Having a relationship with these guys and spending spending time with them on a daily basis and competing and working with them on a daily basis that was just amazing. You know when I sit and tell my kids, my team now that um, you know how Jerry Rice was actually tutoring me and and having dinner at Tim Brown's house every Wednesday and just, you know all the little tips and things that they gave they gave me along the way. Um, you know it's, it's priceless.
0: Let's, let's transition from, you know, your playing days to your coaching days. What, what were some things you learned as a player that, you know, you incorporate as a coach right now at Lincoln High School?
1: Um, definitely just commitment to excellence. Um, showing up every day, preparing, um, preparing the proper way, Don't take, not taking any shortcuts, and just, um, like I said, on a daily basis, preparing yourself to go out and, and do the job to the best of your ability. And, and never forget to have fun. You know, um, football, the, the more you get into it, it becomes more of a business. But you can't forget to have fun and enjoy yourself while you're out there and remember why you still play the game.
0: Let's talk about your squad this year. You start off a 2 and 0 o- C- uh start already and you got some good players uh you know highlighted by Don Chapman who uh is a kid that's that's going to Colorado. What can you say about the player he, he is and, and some of the other players you have on your team this year?
1: Um you know, it's a pleasure to coach um you know, players like Don Chapman and Jamal Monroe guys that are that are extremely committed to um You know, they're committed to the sports. They have great work ethics. They see guys that show up every day and just love to compete. I think that's the funnest part is I don't think no one ever looks at, you know, the time, you know, these guys just want to compete all day long, and not only on the field but in the classroom and everything that they do. They want to be really, really good at it. They ask the right questions. Um and they're willing to do whatever it takes to, to, to become really, really, really good athletes. So I'm, I'm really impressed with having guys like that. To Ray Kirkland, another, is, is another guy. Um, i am been mean, very blessed and fortunate to come across, um, you know, when they think of Lincoln High School, you really don't think of academics and, and things like that. That's kind of what I got, the feeling I got when I first became a coach there. You know, but these guys, they, they go after it. You know, we're in week... We're on our second or our third day, second day of school, and you know they're taking two and three AP classes, and you know just coach, um, you know I have this many AP classes this year and this semester, and I'm working towards this, and think I'm shooting for this goal here. I mean it's really I'm really pleased with the way they're accepting the challenge of being student athletes.
0: You know, they accepted the challenge last week. You go down 13 to, nothing to San Diego High, but your guys don't, they don't fold under pressure. They rally back, you know, they get the win. What can you say about the resiliency of, of your guys, you know, being down early, but then being able to pull out a win last week?
1: Well, for, well first I want to give a shout-out to um, to my nephew, Charles James, and um, Steven Cooper, man. Who, who they, just, they did a really good job preparing that San Diego High team. Um, I definitely want to pay my... Um, the, you know, my respect to them for putting together uh, such a uh, such a good game plan and executing. But, like I said, my my guys um, came out kind of flat and wasn't really expecting, um, you know, San Diego to come out the way they did. But, you know, they were able to rally back up. And, and like I said, the competition factor, they never fold. They're always willing to compete um, at any time and just keep pushing and keep pushing. So I was very happy that we um, – you know, we got it together in that third quarter, and kind of, and it kind of been putting it out.
0: Let's talk about your big game this week against Morse. And before we dive into the game, um, this is a pretty storied rivalry, and, and a game that's in, in part of the community of San Diego. What can you say about what this means? This game means to you know your guys' community, and, and how you've been a part of it.
1: Um, this has always been a, um. You know, it's always been a, a historic game, and um, there's always been a lot surrounding this game. Um, people don't know that you know me and Coach Tracy McNair. You know we're 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 like brothers. We, um, he's my son's godfather. and uh, his son's godfather. We've known each other's all our lives. Our mothers worked together when when we were born. You know, so we have a lot of history, and you know, for us both to, both to be in a position of of, of leadership and being head coaches at the neighborhood school and having this rivalry come back and, um, you know, not just taking it as a rivalry. We know Lincoln and Morris get carried its own mystique about it. Um, I mean, the game, you don't have to get yourself up for this game because it's feelings it's, it's the feelings are already in the air. You're going to, we know it's going to be a competitive game, but the fact that we're coming together and, you know, calling it the Unity Bowl and having a team dinner on Thursday. Um, we come together on Thursday, both teams and coaching staffs. And for the third year in a row, we'll have dinner together. We'll pray together. We'll sit and talk and and laugh a little bit on Thursday night before we compete on Friday. And I think that's showing a lot um, for the community that we can still um, compete, and have a great competition, but still get along and have a respect for each other. Um, which is something that our community definitely needs to know.
0: That, that's, I love the way you guys are doing that. Uh, the team meal with the other, with uh, Morse, uh, that's, 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 uh, that's great to do. And let's talk, you, you know, you guys are, you and Tracy are close. So uh, is there any extra motivation for bragging rights when it comes to that game?
1: Um, You know, we, we both, we both struggle with numbers. You know, that's the thing We 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 all trying to keep our kids in the community. And, um, we're both kind of struggling over numbers and trying to keep the kids. And so, um, you know, it's not really a, it's not really a bragging rights. I've, I've never went out and said, hey, you know, last year we beat you or we we did this here. It's always been a close competition. And um, we know that's going to come down to who makes the least amount of mistakes. Um, so, it's just, so it's not really a bragging. It's not, for us, it's not a bragging. For the kids, it's all about the bragging rights. But for us, you know, hey, We played a clean game. We got there good. We showed the community that we were unified. Our teams competed extremely well and hard. And, um, you know, I think that's what we're happy about is that we're building as a community.
0: Let's talk about what Morse brings on the field. What have you seen on film that you're impressed with what Morse does, either offensively or defensively? They haven't given up a point at all this season. So what are some of the challenges you're going to have to face looking at this Morse team?
1: Um, we're very similar in, um, the fact that we have a lot of speed on both sides of the ball. Um, and, you know, Morris is, uh, Tracy's is a defensive guy. I'm an offensive guy. And, and, you know, it's, it's always fun. It's always fun to, 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 battle. And, um, you know, the main thing I see with Morris is that they've been, you know, they're going to, we know they're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball extremely well. Um, we just have to stick, stick to it and not let the big plays happen. I see they have. Uh, they always have good backs and a really nice rum, rushing game. Not the same type of backs as they had last year with Martel Irby. Um, more more slashers. Not not as much power in this group, but um, extremely dangerous. Without
0: looking too far ahead, you guys got bumped into the Western League, um, which is a little controversial, but not too uh, not too bad. And I know you guys are uh, are ready to face the challenge. But what are some of the challenges you have to face uh, coming down in league play?
1: Um, coming down in league play, we're going to have to face, um, you know, just the size and size and strength of the teams that we're going to have to come up against. The, um, so San Augustine and uh, Cathedral, Madison, they always have really strong fronts, um, you know, uh, offensive, defensive linemen. And that's kind of where we have our issues at. We don't have the numbers to match up there. We may have the speed and skill guys to, to, to go, but, you know, it comes down to the trenches there, and that's where it becomes kind of hard for us. So it's definitely going to be a, um, a battle for us in the league. We have to just try to stay healthy. And um, let's continue to make plays. We're going to push real hard, and we're, we're not going to back down from anything. And even though I don't think we should have been um, pushed into Western League at the at this time, but um, you know, hey, we're not going to run from it. We'll step up and we'll play whoever whoever they, whoever they line us up against.
0: Coach David Dunn of Lincoln High School. He's going to have a he has a great squad right now, and they're going to be a force in the the Western League if not. The, definitely the Division Two playoffs Coach Dunn, thanks again for joining me tonight
1: well, Thanks for having me, I appreciate it
0: Welcome back to the Inside the Huddle Podcast with Braden Soprano on Southern California Prep Insider I'm now joined by Head Coach of the Chula Vista Spartans Coach Howard Bannister Coach, how are you doing tonight?
2: Doing great, thanks for having me again. appreciate it
0: Well Coach, uh, you guys are out to a 2-0 start uh, What can you say about uh, the Spartans right now? Um, we're
2: happy for two and zero, but we're we're not too happy with uh, the way we performed so far. And defensively, we've been pretty good both weeks. Uh, they're really carrying us right now. Offensively, we've been a little bit sluggish. Um, we've been dealing with a lot of injuries. Every team deals with that, and we just haven't had a full squad uh, either game, and so. We're having a hard time getting rhythm, and we're going to get there, though. Uh, but our schedule's getting
0: tougher with the week's coming up. So, uh,
2: you know, we're going to need to get everything firing on all cylinders really quick.
0: You got Escondido this week, and I know you've already broken him down on tape. So what what can you say about, you know, maybe some individual players that Escondido has that are really good or, you know, what they do well that, that might be a problem for you guys on Friday?
2: Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh I have traditionally run a lot of eye formation um, we tried to get away from it a little bit this year, but with the injuries, we kind of went back to it and Escondido's a great eye formation team, so I think it's going to be a battle in the trenches this week. They got uh two really good corners uh that are very athletic that were you know they went and held their held their own against uh, some of the Mer Mesa wide receivers last week uh I think it's going to be uh a tough you know, slug them out game in the trenches. And uh, whoever can run the ball better, I think, is going to end up winning the football game.
0: Let's talk about, you know, last week, 20-7 to 7 victory over Mount Miguel. You know, Troy Starr is, is a famous coach for, you know, over at Helix and in Orange County. What what can you say about how it was going against a, a coach like uh, Coach Starr?
2: Well, it was an honor. Uh, you know, he's kind of in the sh- same shoes I was in last year. Uh, He came in to a program uh, and uh, he's doing, you know, he's putting installing his own vision into it. And uh, I know it's different from what he had when he was over at Helix, but you know, you could tell those kids. Played whole. Uh, they worked really hard the whole game. Uh, I know those numbers aren't deep right now, but uh, I never saw any quit in any of those kids. So I mean, they they got a bright future. Uh, he's got a great freshman staff. I was able to meet those guys when they came to our house. Uh, so he's going to do a great job. But it definitely was an honor. Uh, you know, that guy's resume speaks for itself.
0: What, the, what are some players for Chula Vista right now? And I know you said your defense was carrying you, but who's uh, overall impressed for the Spartans Um, out of, in your eyes? Well,
2: I'd say, you know, we have one kid in particular that's played very well both sides of the ball, uh, Dylan Sally. He's, uh, he's uh, leading us in tackles right now with uh, 12 tackles on the um, first two games. Uh, he's averaging six tackles a game, and, and our next three guys all have six. That was cool. So he's done well on the defense, playing safety for us, and he plays in the box a little bit. We're playing a four-two-five, so he gets in the mix a lot. Uh, and then he's also one of our wide receivers, uh, and he's got 56 yards receiving so far. Uh, so And he's also a kick returner for us. So he's he's really busy. He's had a really good season for us so far. We're expecting him to continue. Um, we had an office a, a student who replaced – Kajon Duncan had a really good first game and uh, rolled his ankle at the end. Uh, third quarter against the La Jolla Country Day. Didn't play last week. We're hoping he's going to be back this week. He was really starting to shine, so we're hoping we're going to get him back. Uh, and then uh, we've had a lot of sacks. So far, we have nine in two games, uh, led by one of our captains, Felipe Toilolo, he has got four. So. And there's other guys that have been doing well, but those guys are really standing out right now.
0: You're talking about running a four-two-five defense, and you know I spent time at TCU, and that's what Gary Patterson runs, and it it works wonders for him. Why 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 did you guys run the four-two-five? What stood out to you as, as being a defense that you wanted to run?
2: Well, uh, I think I told you last time uh, I was scheduled to be the coordinator at tie Ranch, and uh, before I got the job at Chula Vista, and I came over and uh, be coming in so late last year, and I, I brought on Eddie Ortega or DC, uh, you know, when I first came over, it so late. I said, "Look, we're gonna have to run what I know," and uh, so we brought up a lot of my terminology we around 50 front last year. That's what I've been running for a while. And in the off season, uh, Coach Ortega basically said, "Look, I think with the personnel we got coming back, this is going to be better for us. Uh, we're going to meld the you know the terminology that we've had uh, with 50 last year, uh, and." You know, he, he made a great case for it. And sometimes the best thing a head coach can do is get out of the way of good ideas. And uh, so it has. It's worked really well. Uh, we're not the biggest team up front, but those guys get after it a little bit. But we've got some pretty good athletes, uh, so why not get them all on the field? So we're pretty happy with what we're doing so far with it. Uh, we can have hybrid coverages. Uh, we can change our looks, disguise things really well, So and get guys in the box when we need, we need to as well.
0: You said you're, you know, not firing all cylinders offensively. What are some of the things that, you know, individual drill wise that you can improve on for, you know, to help your offense get things going and any, any advice you'd give other coaches that are having the same problems as you?
2: Well, um, offense is always I tell people all the time, it takes eleven guys to work every single time. Defensively, someone makes a mistake up front, someone behind can can fix that problem. Uh, and I think, you know, I know there's some other teams out there that are, that are clicking pretty well, but for us, uh, you know, we just had a couple of injuries. Uh, we, we started with a quarterback. We actually changed our quarterback in the middle of the third quarter, La Jolla Country Day, and that kid came in, one of our juniors came in and really lit it up pretty well. So he's pretty fired, and then he pulls a groin, uh, Tuesday of Mount Miguel. So we went back to our original starters. So we just have a lot of moving pieces, a couple of injured running backs, injured wide receiver. Um, so for us, you know, the big thing is, is stay at it. You know, both of our tackles are sophomores. They make some mistakes on occasion, which you're expecting to do. But the big thing is, is uh, you know, keep the carrot in front of them uh, and keep driving. And don't change what you do, just get better at it. I think a lot of coaches... When you know things aren't working well, they panic, and they want to start throwing in three or four different plays that might change the, the way. That, and we just don't believe in that. We just believe in getting better at what we do.
0: Coach Bannister, the Chula Vista Spartans, they got a big game coming up at uh, at Escondido, going up uh, the freeway to take on Escondido in a pretty big game. Chula Vista, like I said, two and zero. Coach Bannister doing a great job. Thanks for joining me tonight.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, dude.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Huddle Podcast with Braden Soprana. I'm joined by John Joyner, the head coach of the Modern Day Crusaders. Coach Joyner, it's great to have you on yet again.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, man.
0: So coach, let's um you know, I have every coach on on this Inside the Huddle podcast and they give me their breakdown or you know their coming of, you know, being a coach. Talk to us about how you decided to be a coach and why you got into coaching.
3: Um, I was uh, that's a good question. I was uh playing at Azusa Pacific and I was transferring schools. And a guy named Jerry Ralph asked me to come out in spring and coach uh, JV Football Saints, and I kind of started laughing and said, no, I'm never going to be a coach or anything like that. And he's like, no, I'll just come out and coach for a little bit. Um, I spent a couple days doing it, and I was addicted to it. And uh, the rest was I worked for Jerry for six years, and it was, I'm into my 17th year coaching just like that.
0: So you started over at, uh, you know, St. Augustine. How was it, uh, you know,
3: coaching at your alma mater? It was a lot of fun. At the time, I had uh, three cousins or four cousins playing on the team, uh, so it was a lot of fun to kind of get a chance to, to watch those guys grow up and, and do that, and, um, you know, I, I loved St. Augustine at the time. I was very happy there, and it was a lot of fun, and we were having a lot of success. I got to work with a lot of great men and great, uh, build great relationships with the young guys that I'm still friends with now, and, and these guys are off getting married and having kids. And um, So it's, it was a great experience. It was a great six years there. Um, and, and you know, I was a player there and a, and a student there, so I spent ten years of my life there. is a great experience.
0: So let's uh, let's talk about how you became the head coach at Modern Day, and you know, you got the opportunity to be a head coach. What made you jump on
3: that? Um, yeah, I was. I had worked for a guy named Matt White for two years at, at uh, Modern Day. When I, I moved from uh, Saints to Modern Day, I got a teaching job. I was teaching English down there, and I was a defense coordinator for him. And he decided to step down. Um, I was like 27 years old, I think I was, 26 or 27. So you don't say no to uh, a top job when you're that age. Um, I don't know if I was ready for it at the time, but being 27, I wasn't going to pass the opportunity to do it. And I thought there was a lot of potential in modern day, so I was really excited to, to be asked to be the head coach.
0: Let's talk about the modern-day team you currently have. You know, you, you took one off the chin against Ramona in Week 1. You guys rallied back and were able to beat El Capitan Week 2. What can you say about uh, the young squad you guys have?
3: Yeah, you know, they a lot of improvement from Week 1 to Week 2. Um, Ramona's a heck of a team, and, and we just made a lot of uh, mistakes that game, just too many mistakes to beat a team like Ramona. Um, this week we played better. Uh, we still made a lot of mistakes. There was... Um, times against L Cap, we looked brilliant, and then there was times we looked uh, young. So we just kind of have to mature, and we we have to. I, I think the physical aspect of the game is coming along, but it's the mental part where uh, we still have too many times where we uh, don't execute and just just don't do the right things. And but um, they're coming along; they they work their tails off, and that's all we can ask for. Them.
0: Let's talk about your game this week. You guys are playing bishops. And, you know, Bishops lost their quarterback on the first play of the first game of the year, and he's a very talented player. What else does Bishops have for you, you know, when you watch them on tape that's going to be something you guys need to work on this week?
3: Oh, they got cats, man. They got guys. They got dudes that can run all over the field. They're very fast, uh, very skilled. Um, I think their two defensive ends are extremely underrated. Uh, They just cause havoc all the time. Um, To me, you know, I tell people this all the time. I think Joel Allen and and his staff, Shane Walton, and all those guys are probably the most underrated coaching staff in San Diego. I don't think there's anybody that does more with less than those guys. Every year, um, they might have 35 guys playing football in their entire school, and they find a way to build a championship program around them. Um, They do a tremendous job of getting those guys ready week in and week out. Uh, it's just going to be, I think it's going to be fun. We have a nice old rivalry with them. We've played them a bunch. Um, I have a lot of respect for their coaching staff and a lot of respect for their players, so it'll be a fun one.
0: Let's talk about your running back. You put up over 200 yards last week. What can you say about uh, the athlete you have playing running back this year?
3: Yeah, Aiden, I, I tell people all the time, Aiden Calvert's the best tailback in San Diego nobody knows about. Um, he had a great start to his sophomore year, and he got hurt week five. Um, He actually had the same injury as a sophomore as C.J. Verdell had his, his sophomore year. Um, he had a, had a crack in his hip, but he's fully healthy, and he's just strong, powerful. He could catch it. He can run it. He blocks. Um, he's a star center fielder on the baseball team. He's just all around a, a great young man and uh, got great grades. He's going to be a big recruit, and he's just, yeah, he's carrying us right now.
0: Coach John Joyner of the Modern Day Crusaders, they got a game this Friday against Bishops. It's going to be a big uh, game between the two private schools. Coach, good luck this Friday, and thanks again, as always, for joining me.
3: Awesome, man. Thanks, Brady.
0: Let's talk about, um, you know, we get to the segment now of our show where we, we have our town hall discussion with with multiple coaches as they, you know, talk about the topics that go out throughout, uh, you know, San Diego County. You know, all of us coaches have been on either side of, of, you know, a running clock situation. What are your thoughts on the running clock, you know, being, you know, on each side of it, whether you're for it or against it, you know, the pros are... You know, trying to get the game over with, but the cons are a lot of kids are trying to, you know, that work really hard. That's their time to get in. Go ahead, give us your your thoughts on what you think the running clock should be uh, implemented, or whether you think we should just get rid of it.
1: Um, I think you know you prepare, you prepare to go out and play a game four quarters. Um, me for one, I mean, I I, I would like to be able to continue to compete, um, without the running clock. Um, or at least it shouldn't be um, implemented until maybe uh i'll say midway to the third or fourth quarter because i mean it, it does make it hard for everyone to get a chance to to, to get on the field uh, being as you prepared for the game all week but then also I do understand the part of sportsmanship um you know um when you when you're up forty fifty points and you know, you're not trying to rub it in nobody's face you're not trying to lay down you prepared for this game the right way but at the same time I do understand understand the sportsmanship of um you know not trying to just demoralize the team and just kill the character of the other kids um, and then you do have to draw the line there somewhere
0: what can you say about you know whether or not we should use the running clock are you for it are you against it and uh, give us the points of um, you know why you think that way?
3: Yeah, I'm for it. Um, I think it's, it's there for a reason and a purpose. I think that, you know, I've been on both sides of it. I mean, there was a year where we had eight running clocks and 15 games that we that we won. And I've been in games where, you know, I had to get a running clock to get out of there healthy. So the running clock, I think, is a necessity. Um and I think that, you know, as high school coaches, we have a responsibility to understand both sides of the ball, both teams have to go to a locker room. And I think a lot of times as coaches, we can get caught up in the competitive aspect of the game and forget that on the other sideline, it's just a bunch of kids too. And those kids work hard and those kids practice and those kids didn't show up to get humiliated. Um, and I think as, as, as adults, it's all responsibility to, you know, always kind of keep that in mind when we're playing an opponent that we're outmatched, you know, or we're overmatched or whatever it is and, you know, those, those kids don't want to get embarrassed in front of their parents, and they don't deserve that either. So we should just respect each other, get out of the game healthy, and then get on to the next week.
0: And there's a lot of pros and cons because, you know, all of us coaches have been on, you know, both sides of, uh, you know, that running clock. Give us your take on on whether or not, you know, CIF should use the running clock or, you know, maybe they should just get rid of it altogether.
2: Well, uh, my, my take on it is I think it's an okay thing to have at the varsity level um just because uh you know go back to and like you said you know all of us have been on the receiving end or the giving end of that on occasion uh, i know last year we were playing east lake and we really were not physically matching up well with that team we played a really good defensive game against them uh it was seven method at the half we get into the third quarter and all of a sudden we've got four injuries to two way starters and so i was really happy that the score all of a sudden went out of control and was able to get a running clock. So that, that helped us. But I think uh, getting rid of the running clock at the lower levels, uh, I'd be a fan of that unless the coach is going to request it because that's really your developmental areas. And so if you do have an out-of-control game down there, uh, you know, getting those extra guys in there and getting them experience, that's the whole purpose of JV and novice and freshman teams anyway. I'd be a fan of not seeing it there. But uh, varsity level, uh, you know, sometimes you need
0: it. Thanks again to all the coaches that joined me today. David Dunn, uh, Howard Bannister, Chula Vista, John Joyner of Modern Day, and, of course, Tracy McNair. Again, I apologize uh, to what happened with the tape. Uh, we're going to get you on again uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks for the podcast. Um, well, let's talk about what they said. Uh, they, uh, you know, a lot of good points, and most coaches are ended up being for the running clock in terms of, you know, just trying to get take guys stay healthy. And I'm cool with that. I agree with that as well. Um, the only thing I, I have a soft spot in my heart for is, is the kids that work really hard um, and they want to play on Friday nights. And the running clock kind of hampers their time to play. But, um, you know, that's the only uh, upside Do I that I have. Uh, for not having the running clock. Let's get into this week's Game Picks. Um, we're going to pick every game in the top 10 as well as uh, a handful of others that uh, stick out to me. So let's start with Eastlake. Eastlake starts with uh, Santiago from Corona. Uh, battle of two one-on-one teams. I'm going to go with Santiago on this one. I think they're going to be too much uh, for Eastlake. Uh, then we get to Lincoln and Morse. Uh, the Unity Bowl, Lincoln comes in at number nine in the county, according to the Union Tribune. They're 2-0. and Morse is also 2-0. and uh, th- This is my favorite game of the weekend. This is the game that I think is going to be the best game this weekend. Morse ha- hasn't allowed a point yet. They love ra- running the ball, ground and pound type uh, football team. And then Lincoln runs spread, and they got a lot of speed, and they're going to try to air it out a little bit more than Morse does. Look for a pretty back-and-forth football game. I'm going to take the Lincoln Hornets in this one. Mission Hills, number 8 team according to the UT. They're 0-2. They're playing Chaminade. I said earlier in the podcast, I think there's no way Mission Hills wins this game. Um, I'd love to see him do it, but I don't think they do it. Chaminade uh, is going to win this game and win this one big. St. Augustine at Loyola. They're traveling up to Los Angeles. Um, a battle of uh, two undefeated teams. St. Augustine's 2-0. Loyola's 1-0. Tough matchup for St. Augustine. It's going to be tough for them. They're going to try to win it for their uh, president of um, the school who uh, just happens, so happens to be the ex-president of Loyola up in uh, LA. Uh, so we'll see how this one goes. I'd love to see St. Augustine win, but I think Loyola gets this one uh, this week. Cathedral Catholic at Sarah Gardina. You know my connection to Cathedral, so I won't pick this game. I'd love to see Cathedral Catholic win, but I'm just going to say this. It's going to be an uphill battle to climb. San Marcos 2-0 versus Oceanside. I think San Marcos completely rolls Oceanside. I don't think Oceanside really has that many pieces. I know I, I, there's a lot of hype behind Oceanside and and Beachum up there, uh, running the ball and, and throwing it around. But to me, uh, Oceanside is not what they were uh, five five years ago. They're a different football team now. They're a f- different football program. Giving San Marcos in the first Avocado League action of the year. Helix at so or against Soror in the honorable. Helix is going to have their hands full. And Helix remembers Paraclete last year that uh, beat him in the Honor Bowl, uh, a team that was not as uh, high as the division as Helix, a team that is very good and probably Helix's caliber anyway. So Warho is the same thing. They're a team that's a pro- probably around Helix's uh, uh, caliber. They're a top program in, in the state of Arizona. It's going to be a tough matchup for them. I, I'm, I'm picking Helix in this game. I think Helix gets it done. Madison going to El Cap. Uh, I'm not really going to say anything too much about this game. Madison should roll L Cap pretty easily. A game uh, between 2-0 and Madison and 0-2 Lcap give me the Warhawks big in this one. La Costa Canyon at San Clemente. I got San Clemente by 17 points. I think San Clemente, uh, bounces back, and I think they t- uh, swing back at San Diego after San Diego knocked them off last week. they got to be disappointed after having a nine-point lead in under two minutes and letting that one slip away. Look for LaCosta Caney to take the L uh, by a couple touchdowns as they travel north to San Clemente. Torrey Pines at Olympian, a uh, battle between two wing T programs. I'm going to take Torrey Pines in this one. I think Olympian hangs in the game a little early because uh, they're a scrappy bunch and they're coached well, but... Uh, Tory Pines is going to pull away uh, late, if not uh, in the second quarter. Uh, let's get to some other top games outside of the top ten. Rancho Bernardo at Valley Center. Um, I'm going to take Rancho Bernardo in this one. I think they're uh, they're a team that uh, a team to be reckoned with. That looks really good against. Uh, Madison, they probably should have won that game, just came up a little short. I think they get it done at Valley Center. They do have to travel up the mountain, uh, but uh, we'll see how the game goes. Give me RB in this one. Vista at RBV, a battle for Vista, two one-on-one teams. they got Dorian Richardson of RBV. Vista is coming off a 27-7 loss against La Costa Canyon last week. Two teams that are pretty evenly matched when it comes to the Cal Preps ratings in San Diego County. RBV's 40. Vista's 33. Uh, I, I want to take Dorian Richardson and Rachel Richard Burden Vista, but I think Vista has uh, a little bit... A little bit more athletes than RBV does. Give me Vista in this one. Point Loma at Otay Ranch. Point Loma coming off a pretty big win against Ramona last week. Uh, Winning that game pretty soundly. And Otay Ranch beating Valley Center last week. A team that I think is a top-10 caliber team. They're just outside the top 10 in in terms of Cal preps and just in the receiving votes category in the UT poll as well as the San Diego Prep Insider poll. Um, I'm going to take... I'm going to take Otay Ranch in this one. I think they win by two touchdowns over the Pointers. Francis Parker at Montgomery. Uh, Ryan Sanborn, the, the punter for Francis Parker, highly recruited. He's also the quarterback. And the Francis Parker uh, Lancers are 2-0 and on the year. They're playing Travel Down to Montgomery. I think they go down there and get a win over the Aztecs. Last game we're going to pick today, Westview at San Pasquale, a game that would happen five years ago. You would say San Pasquale all the way. Uh, this year, I think it's a little bit different. San getting shut out last week, losing 23-0 to Rancho Bernardo. I think they're reeling after that one. But, you know, Westview had a lead against Oceanside late in the game and ended up uh, giving up a lot of touchdowns in the second half. I'm going to go with San on this one. I think they just got a bigger line. I think they got bigger athletes. Now uh, Westview's got a really good team. They got some good skill position guys, um, but you can't go with tradition and sample squall. So that's those are my matchups that I picked last week. I went ten and two. Week before that, I went ten and one. I'm twenty and three on the season. Uh, I'm not saying it's set in stone when I picked the game, but uh, you're looking at some pretty good odds. Uh, hopefully, those odds continue for me, except for the teams I picked. Uh, against that are going out of county. I want to see you guys win uh, for San Diego County. That about does it for me. Again, thanks to to, uh, all the coaches that join me. Tracy McNair, although we weren't able to air the, the interview. David Dunn of Lincoln High School, Howard Bannister of Chula Vista and John Joyner of Modern Day. Have a fun weekend this weekend. Be sure to check out some games around the county. If you're on a buy, go check out some games. If not, if you're just a fan or a parent that wants to go check out some other teams, be sure to do so. Go check out the local teams of your community. These kids work really hard and they put on a good product for you here in San Diego High School Football. I'm excited for this weekend. It's going to be a big weekend of high school football again. We will see you next week for another edition of Inside the Huddle. Be sure to Check out all our stuff on iTunes and SoundCloud, and anywhere that we have all any of our um, our postings on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and on the website on SouthernCaliforniaPrepInsider dot Be sure to check out our football podcast um, that I am a part of every week. Uh, it's hosted by Christian Pederson, Tony Tony, uh, Tommy Morris, and uh, Noel Alexia. Uh, as well as myself giving a breakdown of high school football the week. We recap everything and go more in detail when it comes to the player instead of the coaches, so be sure to check that out. Um, for Myself, Braden Sopranit. It's been a good show today. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week on Inside the Huddle Podcast with Southern California.